welcome to Faith Church. We're really glad you are here in the room and watching online. It's always an honor uh, to walk with you, to talk with you a little bit about God's Word and to worship together. Uh, it's such a, such a thrill. You know, one of the ways that uh, we really believe that you can grow in your faith, one of, the, one of the great ways to grow in your understanding and in your own belief is to ask questions. And, uh, you know, through this collection, Hope for Your Home, there may be some topics, some ideas, some things that um, we're discussing and talking about, and you have a specific question, we want to answer those questions. And so we've made it as easy as we, we, we hope it can be uh, for you. And right on our central hub, if you'll click on sermon notes each week, towards the bottom of the notes, there's a spot where you can just submit your own question. And uh, we want to gather those questions and answer them in an appropriate avenue. It might be in a response email. It might be in a Facebook Live thing where we're answering several questions that have been asked or, or perhaps even within the message, I might be answering some of them as we continue in this collection. Either way, we, we're not going to release your name and say so-and-so asked this question. It will remain anonymous in that way. Uh, but we want to help your faith grow and be strengthened. And we think asking questions is a great way to learn and grow together. And so I wanted to let you know of that. Galatians 5, verse 22 through 25 is kind of our theme verse for this uh, collection of messages. And it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, I want to be real clear that walking the life that Jesus have, living out a hope in our home, is not passionless. It is not void of even emotion. It's not void of humanity. No, no. It's not that we crucify all passion and we have no desires. No, rather, we have pure passion and pure desires as it flows through the person of Jesus and what he's done for us. See, those are things that God gave us. He just wants us to use those kinds of things in the right way. And uh, the reality is this. This is kind of our big thought for this whole collection. If you didn't come from a healthy home, that doesn't mean a healthy home can't come from you. In other words, you and I, we may have grown up in similar situations. Maybe we grew up in very different circumstances. It doesn't matter the kind of home you came from. Through Jesus, we can have hope that a healthy home can still flow from our own lives. That, that God wants us to have healthy homes. And that's what we're moving towards. That's where we're going towards. That's what we're looking at. And, and the reality uh, is simply this. All of our families started somewhere. We all have a family of origin. We all have a beginning to the story that is this is us, right? We all have our story of origin for whatever context you would call home right now. Your context that you would call home might be a different stage of life than it is for Amber and I, raising three kids, we're right in the middle of it. Maybe you're on the, the, the sunset side of having uh, kids in your home and kind of empty nesting it. And uh, we joked last week that sometimes we raise eagles, but they turn into homing pigeons and they end up back in our home. We're like, what is, what is going on here? You might be on the, the very early side of home life and living on your own, maybe in college. Uh, you might be anywhere on that spectrum in between where, where maybe you've had home contacts with other people and sometimes maybe you've lived by yourself your whole life. We all have a different home context, but we all have a starting point. We all start somewhere. The, the home context, that is the Hunt home, started 
with a handwritten note on a little piece of paper written in crayon with my left hand that slid down a road to a beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl named Amber that simply said, will you go on this walk with me? Check yes, really big box. Check no, really, really small box. This was my cute, playful attempt at appeasing to the childish uh, playful, flirtatious life and interactions that Amber and I had up to this point. See, the year was 2002. I was just finishing my first year of Bible college and concurrently an intern program. And in this intern program, uh, we were not allowed as first-year students to date other people. There was no dating in this program. In the second year of the program, you were free to date. You had some guidelines and some things that you had to follow, but you were allowed to develop a a, a relationship. Now, Amber was a second-year student. I was a first-year. It was forbidden for me, but permissible for her. So that left her in an awkward place. I have come to realize that good things come to those who wait around. She waited. I was glad. We finished with graduation, and the minute I walked across, having completed my commitment to no dating, I slid that note right down the aisle. She wasn't too far away. She read it, looked really puzzled, not sure how to respond, as she often has to compliments, not sure quite how to respond. She looked at it, and I was like, check yes, woman, this is easy. Like, yes, and give me the note back. Don't you remember fifth grade? Come on. It all started with check yes or check no. Friends, uh, today I want to talk to you about the importance of checking yes to the truth of Jesus and checking no to the lies that the enemy whispers to you. Checking yes to the truth that Jesus has for you and no to the lies that the enemy whispers to you. See, hope for your home is found when you check yes to the truth and you check no to the lies of the enemy. If there are whispers that are coming from the enemy, can I just tell you, he only can whisper lies and deceit. John 8 tells us that when he speaks, he speaks in his native tongue, Jesus tells us, and he is the father of all lies. The seed from his life is all lies and deception. And his goal is to lie and deceive you in your life, and Jesus wants us to live free from our, our life and our pattern of sin. He wants us to live with hope in our home, and we have to check yes to the truth and the lies. Galatians 5, verse 1, 7, and 13, this is what the scripture says. It says, this is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Somebody say freedom. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he's saying, hey, you were doing a really good job. Your life was being transformed. Hope was filling your homes. Your gatherings were rich with the presence of God. You were really understanding and grasping this thing of faith. But somewhere you started to get hung up. Something is hindering your race from moving forward. Why are you getting tripped up again and not obeying the truth? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom, don't miss this, to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Friends, any time we, like the Galatians, find ourselves getting stuck, find ourselves in patterns that aren't healthy, find ourselves repeating things in our lives that don't fully look like Jesus, but look more like the acts of our own flesh and selfishness, we can use our freedom in the wrong way. Instead of using our freedom to serve others with humility, we selfishly live our own lives and end up hurting other people. Isn't that the story of how many people find hurt in their home instead of hope in their home? We live selfishly and we end up hurting people 
when he says, you have freedom, you should be using your freedom to serve with humility instead. How do we get caught up? How do we get tripped up in, in doing the selfish thing instead of doing the humble service thing? What is it that trips us up like it was tripping the Galatians? What is it that, that confuses us to believe maybe the wrong thing and therefore live out our freedom in the wrong way? What causes us to do that? Well, I believe it it's, uh, can be likened unto a, a bird that is in a cage. Uh, but I don't want you to think when I say a cage in terms of a little bird in a little cage that hangs on the stand in your living room and you have a pet parakeet named Petey. Really? That's not the kind of cage or bird I want you to think of. I want you to think about the cage that is more of a habitat like you would walk through at a zoo. Plenty of space for birds to fly all around. It reflects a natural habitat, but it is a false natural habitat habitat they are living in a place where they are free to fly it's like yes we are free we are free we are free and they live in that habitat for so many years that even if the door were to be open they would never fly out of it because they don't think there's anything more than what they're flying and experiencing right now for many people this is the life of faith that they live they know jesus paid the price for their sins they know he came to set them free and they start to discover a different way to live and to fly about their life. But the reality is there is an open door to the habitat and cage and he invites us to fly fully free, but yet we remain in captivity because we think that's all there is. We have conditioned our thoughts that this is the right habitat. This is the right way of living our life. This is the pattern our lives should be. And so we stay in captivity rather than walking free in the fullness that God has provided for you and for me. And it all starts because of this thing where somewhere along the way, like the Galatians were doing, they were going good, things were progressing, they were developing, but somewhere they got tripped up and got stuck. And they found themselves still bound. See, oftentimes we believe we are trapped and that is our only reality. We don't believe that there's a different way out. In fact, we've convinced ourselves or become convinced that the way that we're living now is just our personality rather than an active place of bondage that the enemy has us in. So we'll write things off and dismiss them as, oh, that's just who I am. That's just what it's like to be in my family. This is just how we do things. There's no different way of living. This is just how it will be. And we find ourselves flying a little bit in a huge habitat. But that's still not free. That's still not freedom. Who cut in on you, Galatians? Who tripped you up? Who got you still sitting in this trap? And it all can be traced back to lies that we've believed to be true that have conditioned us to live in deceit instead of freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. See, these core lies can govern our life and they keep us in this cage, in a, in a habitat. In other words, we, we end up interpreting events in our life to be and mean something that they didn't really mean or were really that way. They become our perspective, and we become a slave to our perspective. And we think about this feeling, and we feel a certain things about this event, therefore we believe it to be true. There's this idea of emotivism right now that is permeating our culture. It's, it's this intense sense of feelings, and because the feelings that we feel in any one moment or interchange are so real and de deeply felt, we believe the feelings to now be true. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Your feelings are telling you the truth about what you believe. But what if what you believe isn't true? What if what we're believing isn't true? And we're flying around in a cage and we're missing the more God has for us. There's this um, term used in counseling and therapy called the cycle of hurt. And for many of us, we live out this cycle and, and it's incognito in our life. In fact, it's so unseen and invisible in our life, we think this is normal. 
and it's unseen in our lives. And today I want to open your eyes to see something that the enemy has made invisible to you so that you can actually begin to walk in the true freedom that Christ has for you and you can have hope in your home. And here's the cycle of hurt. Here's how it goes. There's an event that happens in your life. Then there is the interpretation of that event. And from that interpretation, you then make an inner vow. The event might be innocent, might be a positive experience, or a traumatic experience. But there's an event. Right after the event, there is the interpretation. And thoughts come into your mind how you should interpret what you just experienced. And most often, the enemy is so smart. He's so smart. He will wait until you don't have a clear interpretation of the event, and he will interpret it for you. And he begins to whisper a lie. And then from that interpretation, you then make an inner vow a commitment and an oath to yourself, how you will now live out in response to this interpretation based on an event that occurred. Here's what it looks like. We have this event, it becomes an interpretation, we make an inner vow, and that inner vow becomes behaviors that we live out. Listen, beliefs always will lead to behaviors. Patterns of behavior reveal belief systems okay we demonstrate these behaviors in certain ways and and i'm going to list several behaviors for you today and i want to see if you can identify and there might be some that are going to resonate with you oh yeah no no that's a pattern of behavior i have that pattern oh yeah no no i'm i I live with somebody who's got that pattern right i I want you to be thinking about these patterns of behavior because it's not just a one-time thing that you do but a pattern of behavior that you have reveals a belief system that you've ingrained into your life and most likely those 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 belief systems all stemmed from an event i'm gonna gonna show it to you but let me give you some of the behaviors that we live out and uh, if we can be honest in the house of the lord i think we will relate to many of these i know i do too here we go here's here's uh some of the behaviors like acting out in your home in the classroom acting out anger blame busyness sarcasm and humor isolation and withdrawal fantasy and escape oh if i was an only child life would have been oh if i would have married so and so my life would have been different denial and dismissal where you just diminish and you dismiss it in fact some of you watching and hearing me right now you've already begun to dismiss this sermon is like oh yeah no that's not me i'm a jesus follower that doesn't that doesn't apply to me and you've already begun to dismiss the truth that you're hearing today control where we try to rescue other people from their problems because we really just want to control the outcomes from people's lives Maybe it's uh, an over-intellectualization of everything. Maybe it's a medication thing. Maybe it becomes passive-aggressive. Maybe the behavior is where we preemptively reject somebody because we know eventually they'll reject us. We just reject them first. Nothing's really wrong. We're just going to go ahead and preemptively reject. And then finally, we withhold trust from people around us. Let me put all of this together an illustration of event interpretation and inner vows and how it plays out in in real life let's say there is a young boy say he's maybe seven years old and he hears his mom tell his dad i'm leaving and i'm divorcing you he doesn't really know how to process or articulate what he feels so the enemy capitalizes on the moment and interprets the events saying people will always leave you you can't trust other women so he builds a wall grows up a beautiful gal likes him and he wants to grow in the relationship but there is this wall he can't really commit and he can't figure out why so he unintentionally begins to withdraw sabotaging the very relationship that he longs for 
She dumps him and immediately is reinforced with the interpretation. See, women always leave. They can't be trusted. And the cycle begins to repeat itself. And he grows more and more insecure. And he makes a vow to take all he can while he can because they eventually will leave anyways. Plays the field, womanizes, sleeps around, relationship to relationship to relationship, a wake of hurt and brokenness in his past. Simply because there was an event that caused deep pain, a lie that he interpreted it, and an inner vow that he made that has now come along and built these defenses, responds in a hurtful way, and instead of being able to humbly serve in a loving relationship, he selfishly hurts every relationship. And the cycle continues. Event, interpretation, inner vow. He checked yes to a lie, and he formed an inner vow. And he's never left the cage in the habitat. He's just trying, he's just learned how to cope and fly in the cage. Thinking he's free. I can sow my wild oats. I do what I want. And he's using his freedom in the wrong way. And in reality, he's bound. In reality, he's tied to a bungee cord. Have you guys ever seen those inflatable games at, at a uh, carnival? Or uh, it's called a bungee run where you strap on this harness that's attached to a bungee cord. It's a big inflatable, looks like a, a two dual running lane. And, and they say go, and you take off running, running, running as hard as fast as you can, trying to reach out further than the person you're running against. And the minute you stop running and you reach out and your strength runs out, wham, it jerks you right back. And you do a tumble all the way down, and chiropractors are standing there ready to hand out their cards. And like it's a... It's a brilliant, brilliant thing. It's a lot of fun to try and do, except for the fact that when you realize many of us are living our lives in that exact same way. We're running in our freedom. This is great. This is wonderful. All of a sudden, jerk back, and life comes crashing. Relationships, it will be the break, and hope for our home begins to dissipate, and we find ourselves wondering what is going on, and what's going on is this. There is a pattern of behavior because you made a vow to yourself that was an in, based on an interpretation that was a lie that the enemy whispered to you that happened because of an event in your life years before. This is how Jesus and the James, the brother of Jesus, talk about these inner vows and oaths that we make. Look at James 5, verse 12. It says, above all, my brothers and my sisters, do not swear. Now, he's not talking about dropping the F-bomb here, but I don't recommend dropping said F-bomb, right? Like that's, can we just all agree? That's not really what he's addressing, but that's not the best use of your words. Okay, good. We're gonna talk about words in your home later on in this collection. It's gonna be really helpful and practical for you. But for now, he's saying don't swear, don't make an oath, Okay not by heaven or by earth or really by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, don't miss this, you'll be condemned. You'll be damning yourself to something because you made an oath in an improper way. You made an agreement with the wrong thing. Not in heaven, not on earth below, not anywhere in between. Look how Jesus said it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, he says this, he says, again, you've heard it said um, of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't, don't swear at all. Don't, don't find yourself in a place where you say, I swear, I'll never blank. I swear, if one more time, I swear, if it wouldn't have been, I promise I'll never, don't swear at all. Neither by heaven, uh, because that's God's domain and throne, nor by earth, because uh, that's his footstool. 
nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one hair white or one hair black. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these, don't miss this, is from the evil one. So what's behind our oaths and our swearing and our, and our inner vows that we make? The enemy. See, many times when you're making, uh, I swear on my mother's grave. You ever heard that phrase? Right, because we're trying to swear on something that we feel like has more integrity than us. <laughs> something that has more validity than us. And, and even if we try to swear on our own strength and our own ability, what we are doing is making an inner vow or an oath to ourselves. But you ain't got the power to really perform it anyways. It, I mean, can you make your hair white or your hair black? Well, I can if I get the right color box, Pastor. Well, that's a different subject, all right? That's an unnatural way to do it. You can color your hair all you want. He's saying, don't swear and make an oath to yourself. These inner vows that we make that eventually create behavior patterns that we live out, these inner vows are oaths that we swear by our sovereignty and as a result don't come under the ultimate sovereignty of God. I said it this way to Pastor Clayton this week. I said, God doesn't co-sign your stupidity. He's not gonna co-sign that oath that you're making to yourself, that inner vow he doesn't co-sign that. Now, I, when I say your sovereignty, I'm like small, like barely seen, what is it, subscript level S sovereignty. But you have a will. You can will to do many things. You willed yourself to get up and get to church. Congratulations, you did well. You're turning in, well done. You have a will, you can make a decision but the problem is, if you make an agreement with yourself, then you are left to the devices of yourself to make it healthy and whole. And many of us are living bound to an agreement that we've made with ourselves, an inner vow that is based on an interpretation of a lie from a real event that we experience at some point in our life. I had a coach in high school, um, our senior year of high school, he's an assistant coach on the baseball team, and uh, he would often say this when we were running our mouths, talking trash to each other, as guys tend to do, uh, and uh, he would say this, he says, sounds like someone's mouth is writing a check, their body can't cash. When you make an inner vow to yourself, you are writing a check that your authority doesn't really have to make outcomes be good. It only becomes, don't miss this, an act of your flesh, not an act of the Spirit. And we are called to be free, living and acting by the Spirit. Let me give you some more examples of events, interpretations, and inner vows to see if maybe these will relate a little better with your scenario, your situation, or bring it a, a little bit more concrete into your life. Let, let me go through these kind of quickly. Uh, maybe your parent brags on you because you performed well uh, at school. The interpretation and the lie the enemy will eventually whisper to you is that you are only loved when you behave and perform well, which leads to an inner vow that says, I am what I do, and I'll never let others see my failures. And you live out a pattern of blame and hiding because it can never be your fault. Event. Interpretation based on a lie, interval that you make, leads to a pattern of life. Let me give you another one. You're young, your best friend moves away to another state. You don't understand why. The enemy comes and quietly whispers to you, everyone will eventually leave you one day. So now you grow up, you make an interval with yourself that says, I'm gonna keep my kids close no matter what because I don't want anybody to leave me. And so instead of serving your kids, you become selfish with your kids, controlling, being a helicopter parent, and dictating everything in their life. They can't go anywhere on Sunday except your house for dinner. Because your behavior now is based on a pattern of an interval that you've made because of an interpretation of an event that happened in your past. 
you turn 16, all of your friends are getting cars, their parents are buying them cars, but your parents don't buy you a car. And somewhere along the way, you interpret that event as real love buys you things that you want. And you make an inner vow, my kids, when I grow up, my kids will never go without. And you become a workaholic and materialistic in your drivenness. You have a bad breakup because of infidelity somewhere in your college years. And you begin to believe that the opposite sex can't be trusted. And so as a result, you think to yourself, I'll never care about the opposite sex again. And you begin to use and experiment with your sexuality in a way that is contrary to the, to the freedom that God has given to you. And you're using it for an occasion of your flesh rather than to walk in God's ways. Maybe you experience abuse verbally, physically, sexually, and you begin to tell yourself, I'm not worth anything. And the lies of value and lack of value whisper loud and clear in your lies. And you say, I can never earn someone's love. And you make a vow, I'll never be able to earn someone's love. So you'll treat everyone like trash, including yourself. And you have a cycle of broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. And you're finding yourself hurt, more hurt, and more hurt. And it's all because of an inner vow you make based on an interpretation born from a lie because of an event that you experienced that was traumatic and painful and not your fault. Maybe you got blamed innocently often growing up. Always got blamed. Maybe you were the oldest in your family. And you think to yourself, it's always my fault. doesn't matter what happens. It's always my fault. Somehow, always going to be my fault. Always my fault. They always yell my name first. I didn't even do anything. It's always my fault. And you find yourself making an inner vow. I'll never be blamed again. And so every time someone challenges you at work on a mistake they find, you respond in anger. And you lash out at the people around you in your home. Inner vow because of an interpretation that's from a lie on an event that happened in your life. Maybe your teacher sends you to detention for chewing gum, which is no big deal. And you think to yourself, the lie comes, people in authority always abuse and overstep. People in authority always take advantage of other people. And you make an inner vow that says, I'll never trust or submit to anyone who has authority. And you've gone from church to church to church, relationship to relationship to relationship, job to job to job, all because you feel like it's an abuse of power. And the reality isn't actually the people in power. The reality is you made an inner vow because of an interpretation based on a lie born from an event that happened that was no big deal one day. Events, interpretations, inner vows, the enemy wants to lie to you, telling you you're really free. This is normal. Dismiss it. It's normal behavior. But really, you're still flying around in the same caged habitat, and you're not finding hope in your home, and you're wondering why you keep getting bungeed back. It's because you checked yes to a lie instead of checking no to that box. We're not immune to it, friends. I'm not immune to it. In fact, let me, let me share a couple illustrations from my own life, and then I'm going to share with you how you can be set free and break the agreement with these inner vows and these interpretations. I've had to do this work in my own life many, many times to find freedom again and again and again. It's a journey. This idea of being free, we said last week, starts with keeping in step with the Spirit. Yes, Jesus paid the price for your freedom, but it's a journey and a path that he's laid out for you to keep walking in. And so the longer I walk with the Lord, the more freedom I want to experience. And the more freedom I experience, it requires me to do some of this examination in my own heart. Let me share a couple with you from my own life. I, I remember I was a young, young child, and I got in trouble for not putting my clothes away correctly. I was not hanging my clothes up properly on the hanger, wasn't buttoning the top button of the shirt. They were falling off the hanger everywhere. And my mom came into my room, recognized how I was handling my clothes, and lovingly showed me a more excellent way to walk in and not depart from. 
And as we were talking, I remember the phrase being uttered, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Which stands to reason. I wasn't doing what I was capable of doing. I had more potential in me than what I was demonstrating. My mom wasn't being harsh, rude, or evil. She was a, is a great mother. But the enemy took the opportunity to whisper the interpretation that he wanted me to have of that event. And I began to believe that being sloppy and disorganized is so disappointing. And people who are sloppy and disorganized are such disappointments. And I made an inner vow to myself. I will never be disorganized. Never be disorganized. So it's led me to live a life where I always try to control things in my, my sphere. Develop some OCD tendencies. Oh, that's just OCD stuff. Happens to all of us. Does it? So I go in to prepare a message, and if my workspace is dirty, if it's unorganized and it's full of clutter, I cannot focus until I clean it. Is that me walking in freedom for the right things, or is that me being bound to my environment? It goes further. One of the triggers that gets me mad as a dad is when my kids just throw their clothes in their, in their drawers, and they don't fold them or roll them, and I get mad. Or when my wife, early on in our marriage, would lovingly serve me by hanging up my clothes for me. And I would go pull out my clothes only to find that she hung them on the hanger inside out. That is not how we hang clothes up in the Hunt household. It's disappointing. To which she simply replies, I'm only putting them in the way you put them in the hamper. They came out the dryer inside out. I'm hanging them up inside out. Woman, submit. And you can imagine the conversation from there. <laughs> to which I make sure my clothes are right side out when they go in the hamper. And she still hangs them up the proper way for me. Because she didn't selfishly want to hurt me. She just wanted to lovingly serve me. But tension in the home grows because we respond based on inner vows that we've made because of wrong interpretations based on lies the enemies whisper from simple events that occur in our life. Some simple, some traumatic, some just events. Let me give you another one. I was in the fifth grade. It was time for presidential PE testing. And I like to excel in all things competitive sports related. Ran the mile, killed the time. Sit-ups, crushed it. I was top of my class on both. I was going to town. That, that, that chief presidential award was coming my way. We had to do V sit and reach. Man, I'm flexible and I got long arms. I can stretch and bend with the rest of them. Score really high and then came the pull-ups. Everybody goes, my turn. Grab them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Chair moves, and my skinny, bony arms just start shaking, and I don't go anywhere. Just hanging there. People begin to laugh. I begin to cry. My coach recognizes that I'm incredibly embarrassed, and Coach Mills, one of the most loving, tender men of God that I can remember in my life, quickly puts the chair back there, says, hey, why don't you go ahead and do just the chin up instead and hold in position. So I hold there for a little bit, shaking. Don't hold there for a real long time. And I remember a sense of embarrassment and shame that came because that was the test that the girls got to do. They were degraded on their chin ups, not their pull ups. And it led me to interpret those events other than just being the reality of what it was. I interpreted the events over time as people will laugh at you when they see your weakness, which led to an inner vow that says, I will never let people see my weakness again. So instead of being honest, a lie, 
instead of being forthright, I'll get defensive. And for years, I avoided going to the gym to lift weights. And if somebody walked in the gym that I knew, I would immediately stop lifting weights and go to the treadmill. Events, interpretations, inner vows. And these may seem silly and trivial, but friends, it's often the silly and trivial events that the enemy lies to us about that leads to moments where we live out the lie and a pattern of behavior based on an oath that we make to ourselves. Some of you have inner vows and interpretation of some really painful things that you've experienced in your life. I've got some of those too. And we have to be willing to go to the God who formed us and knit us in our mother's womb, who knows who we are, who has sent his son to die and make the path of freedom, who has opened the cage and says, would you please fly free? Stop living in deception, believing you're free. I have more freedom for you to walk in. You might be sitting there, Pastor, how do we get free? There's a process that I've used through the course of my life. I want to share it with you. This is how I've done it with all of these, both these events and many others that I've done work in my own heart with the Lord. And it's simply, number one, you have to be willing to look inward. You have to stop long enough to look inward. The great psalmist of our day, Ice Cube, says it this way, you best check yourself before you wreck yourself. John Calvin said it like this, without the knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And in his book, Deeply Formed Life, uh, author Rich Velotis says this, he says, Calvin has in mind our knowledge of sin and need for God for sure. But sin is not limited to just morality and salvation as typically understood. Sin is a principle of captivity to a power that permeates and that contaminates. Sin is a word used to describe not just our outward acts void of morality, but also our inner captivity. We have to be willing to look inward and see where are we captive? What are the lies we've held to? What are the inner vows that we've made? We have to be willing to look inward and pray the prayer, Father, would you show me the event or lie or inner vow that has me in bondage? Here in just a minute, we're going to pray that prayer together and take a minute and let the Lord speak to us. We have to be willing first to look inward too. We have to be willing to break the agreement. You've made an agreement. You've made the inner vow. You can tear that contract up and make a new agreement and make an agreement with God. And then third, we have to check yes to the truth and check no to the lies moving forward. Because the enemy is still gonna whisper lies to you. He's still gonna put thoughts in your mind and you have to take those thoughts as 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says and bring them captive to Jesus. Make them obedient to Jesus. And when you make them obedient to Jesus, you're taking this thought and you're holding it up to the standard of who Jesus is and who Jesus has called you to be. And you hold it up and if that thought doesn't line up with who Jesus is and who he's called you to be, then you check no to it and say no more lies. But if it is truth, you check yes to it and you embed it into your heart and you speak it aloud and you, and you share it again and again and again. You have to find a scripture to replace the lie. Friends, this is what we're doing. When we say the word amen out loud to a prayer, when you're hearing the word of God being taught, you are saying, let it be. What is that? That's a word of agreement. So when we're sitting there and we're hearing the word of God being taught and people start saying, amen, yes. What are they saying? I agree, let it be in me. They're making a new agreement. They're saying, that's, that's, I may have not thought that way, but I'm going to think that way now, Pastor. I'm saying yes. It's not just because we're a more extroverted, exuberant, more charismatic way of doing church. It has nothing to do with that. It's everything to do with we realize that our words form agreements with stuff. And when we hear truth, we want to say, yep, that's true. Yep, that's in me. We form the right agreement with things, right agreement with truth. We check yes. 
to the truth. We check no to the lies. A great verse for you to begin memorizing this week. Psalms 124, verse 7 through 8. That says, we have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we've escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As we get ready to come to the Lord's table in communion, we are, we are, we are people saying yes to a new covenant agreement because Jesus has broken the snare, broken the curse, broken it out, and we get to go free because Jesus has done it for us. That's what we do when we come to the Lord's table. Before we take communion, and I want to encourage you to have the elements in your hand, but before we take communion, I want you to take a minute, and I know we've gone a little long today. I'm into bonus time now. But friends, your freedom is worth it. Health in your life and your family, hope for your home, it's worth it. And I want you to hear, I want us to take a minute and pray these prayers. And you, you may want to go back later this week and spend more time walking the same process through again and again. Asking the Lord, would you show me the events and the lies? And then breaking an agreement with them. And these prayers are up on our central hub. You can read them there on the sermon notes section. But the first prayer I want us to pray, and I want you to pray out loud, is simply this. Father, would you show me any event, lie, or inner vow that has me in bondage? Can we pray that out loud together? Let's pray it. Ready? Father, would you show me any event, lie, or inner vow that has me in bondage? Let's just sit and listen for a minute. Show those things to us, please. Thank you, Lord. Now, as things have begun to come to your mind, we want to break the agreement that we've had with those lies and those vows, those oaths. And let's pray this prayer together. It's up on the screen. Let's pray it. It says this, it says, Father, I'm sorry I have made this vow in my heart. I confess the lie that, and you could insert whatever lie was. I need your help to know the truth. I surrender this vow to you and commit to allow you to intervene and act in my life. Lord, we make this confession to you. Now, before we take communion, I want us to pray this prayer of yielding and surrender to the Lord. Would you repeat this after me? Just say, Father God, as I take this bread and drink this juice, I recommit my life to you. Thank you for setting me free from my past. I am a child of your covenant. Jesus, you have redeemed me. Help me to recognize your voice of truth. May I not believe the lies. Holy Spirit, help me always hear your truth to believe what you say and obey you. Make my home a haven of your hope. I yield my will to your will. My Lord and my King, amen. Now go ahead and take the bread. And then when you're ready, the juice. Heavenly Father, I pray that in these moments, Lord, you've begun to, to stir something up, helping us to see 
maybe differently than we've ever seen before. Lord, help us to be willing to take a step and ask for prayer, maybe in the chat or at the prayer spot here in just a minute. Lord, help us this week to set aside some time to really look internally, to really look inward at what you're doing. Lord, I I pray that you would help us to find freedom. And in our freedom, we would serve others with humility in love. And Lord, would you help us break the oaths and the patterns of belief and behavior that are based on lies that have left us bound and trapped and deceived. God, may we be like those birds, uncaged and flying fully free this week. Now, Lord, I I pray a blessing over your people today. Would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine on them and be gracious to them? Would you lift up your joyous countenance towards them and give them peace? I pray in the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, we love you. Thanks for hanging with us. I believe this is an encouraging word for you. If you need prayer, our teams are ready. Prayer spot, you can go there. Um, Be here next week and bring somebody with you. We love you. God bless. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.